Hey friends, welcome back to the Eagle Community Church of Christ podcast. My name is John Gunter. I'm the preaching minister here in our church. This week we're talking about uh, the second sermon on anointing, but this time we're talking about how how the Holy Spirit empowers us to, to join the mission of God. And so the, the Holy Spirit doesn't just come on us to do nothing. We're not given the Holy Spirit by God to just have it. There's always a reason. And so this week we talk about what it looks like to join the mission of God and, and really what is important to God. So hope this is helpful for you. I have loved uh, going through this series. And if we can help in any way, let us know. Have a great week. Well, good morning again. So glad to, uh, to be here with you and uh, to bring another word from, from God's Word. I hope you have enjoyed the series so far. I have really enjoyed diving into God's Word to see uh, how the Holy Spirit has worked throughout the Scriptures. Um, I, I think for the longest time, when I thought about the Holy Spirit, I only thought about the New Testament. But as we've seen over and over again, that God and His Spirit has been working since day one, right? The beginning, the very beginning as God began to create. Last week, we began uh, what was lesson one on the anointing. And we, we studied about kings, we talked about uh, David, we talked about Saul, and we talked about uh, what leaders were supposed to be about, that leaders were supposed to be strong leaders. They're supposed to lead Israel, they're supposed to know the law, because to be able to lead, you need to know the law, you need to know what God wants from you. And also, that leaders, that kings, were supposed to protect the vulnerable, or as we read last week, do justice. But remember, they weren't just set in their positions and left alone and said, good luck. The anointing was that God anointed them with his Holy Spirit, understanding that none of us can do anything alone, right? So God gifted his Holy Spirit to these kings to be able to fulfill his will as, he, as each of them were anointed with oil. And remember, as we talked about what the anointing even meant, that anointing meant that they were set to do uh, something for God, that they had an office, a position. They were set out to accomplish something for God. And again, as we saw with Saul and as we saw with David, none of them were perfect. We even talked about how God used a non-Israelite king that maybe you don't think about King Cyrus, but I, I would imagine if you were in exile with the Israelites, you would certainly remember this man's name because God said, I have anointed him to carry out this purpose, and that purpose was to allow the Israelites to go back and to be in their home again. David, as we mentioned last week, was called a man after God's own heart, just talking about this anointing and getting things done, and I wanted to put this back up here uh, again, and don't need that. The heart in Hebrew idiom is where you do your thinking, weighing up, deciding, and planning. And again, as we mentioned last week, we still talk like this. What I just told you was from the heart, right? So we still kind of talk like this. Maybe we, we know it comes from the brain, but we say it came from the heart, meaning uh, that it was genuine, that I, I meant it. So a man after God's heart means one who will think and do as God chooses, one who will carry out the plans 
that God has in mind. And so that is how David could be called a man after God's heart. The context of this, again, was comparing Saul to David. Saul began his reign well, but then walked away from God and didn't really come back. David messed up time and again, but the difference in David to have a, a, a to be a, a man after God's heart was that when he was faced with what he had done wrong, he had the desire for redemption. He had the will for repentance, and he wanted that relationship with God. And so David was able to, again, carry out what God wanted because even though he was not perfect, like we are not, God was able to use him because even when he went off track, when he was faced with that, he turned around and came back. We talked last week about as we ended to accomplish God's mission, we have to understand his mission. A lot of, uh, we can learn a lot from the way God began Scripture. That God began his plan by putting Adam and Eve in this Garden of Eden. This Garden of Eden was, was seen as kind of an ideal, right? How many of you would like to go live in a veritable Garden of Eden right now? Right? Amen. I mean, I, I can imagine uh, it was probably 72 degrees, right? It just feels like it was perfect as God set Adam and Eve there. But he didn't set them there just to bask in nothingness, right? He set them there with some things to do. From Genesis 1, 26 through 28, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Hold on to that because it is important to know what is important to God, right? Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Adam and Eve were supposed to rule over this creation that God had made. And uh, I think we're okay with that part, aren't we? Like This is a continuation of what God had done, that there was this chaos that God kind of reigned in, and now that God has created there is this portion of creation that man is now over and needs to tend to and take care of. And uh, that's, what, that's actually what God tells Adam and Eve in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it and take care of it. Y'all better love the garden, right? But we, we, uh, you may have heard or may be familiar to you to dress it and keep it. You remember that translation? To dress it and keep it. To work it and take care of it. That was a part of God's plan is that I'm going to give you this perfect place where you have everything you want to eat. He didn't say anything about paying for it, paying taxes on it. Listen, I'm from Arkansas. We have to pay sales tax on our food there too. So just know how well we've got it here but to work it and to keep it. And I wanted to explain this just a, uh, a little more because uh, the words there, to work and take care of, need a little bit of explanation. Uh, I don't usually put Hebrew or Greek up here, 
but to work means, uh, the, the original word is abad. Say abad. Not too hard, right? You're good. Dress, work, till. But the normal Hebrew word abad means what? Serve. Isn't that interesting? That when God says you work and you keep, that you serve. There's an idea of I am serving, not I am ruling over and I'm in charge and I'm going to tell everyone I'm in charge. But there's this idea, remember when we talked about leadership in the Bible, always talking about how do I serve? Even in the Garden of Eden, that we dress, we work, we till, but you are serving creation in that way. And so abad is work. Uh, now the word for take care is shamar. Say shamar. Not too hard either, right? Keep or tend, and that means to exercise great care over. That I'm supposed to serve, abad, and I'm supposed to exercise great care over. That God has created this. And you remember when God created, he looked around and he said, it is what? Good. And so he looks at Adam and Eve and he says, you serve this. You take care of it. You work for it. And this exercise Great care over creation. God cares about his creation, whether he's talking about you and I or he's talking about creation uh, as a whole. But we messed that up, didn't we? We're not sitting here in the Garden of Eden. I'm sure, as Robert mentioned at communion this morning, as he sat out on his patio and thought about the heat, he was not thinking, I am in Eden right now. I love this place. As I walked in this morning, it felt like someone, someone was shining uh, a spotlight on my face as I looked into the west. It has been so, uh, or into the east, sunrise in the east, right? Don't show up at 8 a.m. on the 30th, <laughs> sunrise in the east. So I looked to the east. But God created this, and we messed it up, and we had a fall. And God didn't leave us alone. He did care for us, God chose to redeem us. And he chose to redeem us through a man named Abraham. And we've talked about this on and off each time, and I wanted to put up the promise that, that God has given to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Let's pause right there. Because it's not us, we just kind of skip over that. If God looked at you in your face this morning, he said, uh, you go from your country, your people, and your father's household, how do you feel? A friend of mine uh, from Malaysia just this week sent me a picture. Uh, she is now going to be a U.S. citizen, and she's been here forever. She's been here since the uh, early 2000s, uh, but part of getting her citizenship here is Malaysia does not allow you to have dual citizenship, so she had to give up her citizenship from her hometown, from her home country. And I tried to congratulate her, and I said, are you happy? <laughs> because I know if I had to give up my country, my land, go away from my people, it would be very difficult. <laughs> but God chose a man who would do exactly that, did he not? In verse 2, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And you remember the thoughts that are going through Abraham's head with this, right? Not a chance. I'm too old. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth 
will be blessed through you. So Abraham has promised descendants and become a great people. He was promised a special covenant, this blessing and cursing uh, with God. He was going to be with God, and he was promised this land that was given uh, to him. And of course, we know that was fulfilled, was it not? But Abraham was given that through his offspring. Abraham kind of served as this fresh start for the people, that God could again start to work through a people that, we, that had uh, previously run from him. But what I think is interesting is the way that Paul, the Apostle Paul, looks at this. From Galatians uh, chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, look at this. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. And of course, Paul is talking about hey, all of us. Because you have faith, you're children of Abraham. But look at this. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the what? The gospel. Isn't that interesting? They announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, and he says the gospel is this. All nations will be blessed through you. Well, how, what was that blessing? What was his name? Jesus. That Paul sees this as the gospel preached to Abraham, that all nations, not just Israel, it's not just going to be you, but all nations will be blessed through you. And we see that uh, with Jesus. And God uh, reiterates about Abraham. Well, let me finish verse 9 here. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Again, saying, you don't have to be born in this. You don't have to be Israelite to come directly from Abraham's seed. All you have to do is have faith in Jesus. But Genesis 18, uh, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. And again, we've got to hear this with God looking right directly at us, saying, all of you, because of God's faithfulness, we sit here in this room this morning, do we not? Because of God's faithfulness carrying this out and saying, this will happen, we sit here this morning, how many of us would know each other if it weren't for this? I wouldn't know any of you. I'm from Arkansas. You know, I'd have probably stayed there. It's, it's not a bad place. Let me just tell you. We're not all related, I don't think. Side note, when Katie and I got married, I did not know my biological family. And once I started searching, she asked me one night, she said, what if you find out we're related? <laughs> I'll just let you chew on that for a little bit because I, I don't know that I had a good answer. You divorce? It? I, I don't know. Somebody, somebody tell me what you do at that point. But Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, God says. I have chosen him so that, you see that? So that, there's a reason I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. God didn't just look down on Abram and say, you're pretty cool. God looked on Abram and said, through you I will bless all nations because this is what I'm going to ask of you, so that 
you will direct your children and your household to keep God's ways. And so that's what uh, God wants. And you see in this, uh, by doing what is right and just, that's actually uh, a better translation would be practicing righteousness and justice. Those are actually nouns there. That you are to practice righteousness and justice. You're supposed to know what God wants and you're supposed to do it correctly. That we don't leave people out, we don't oppress people, we don't do anything like that, but we practice doing things right and looking around and making sure things are just for everyone. What we see in this is also uh, not only uh, the way God wants to work through Abraham, but work through Israel in more in general. From Exodus 19, uh, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, God talking uh, to the Israelites here, and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although, how much of the earth? The whole earth. I've got it all. He's got the whole world. Y'all sing that in a while? I'll stop right there. Don't worry. <laughs> you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Again, as, as God talks there. But there was a reason. That you are supposed to be priests. You're supposed to be a holy nation. Remember, holy means separate. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to show how to live. Remember what a priest was. A priest was like a middleman between the people and God. That is, God spoke. The priest said, this is what you're supposed to do. And then God says, you're supposed to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You're supposed to go between me and the rest of the world. And that's how God had planned to use uh, Israel is to be, again, priests and a holy nation. And spoiler alert, Peter looks around in the New Testament and he says, you are a royal priesthood, all of us, to stand between the rest of the world and God. But again, just like the kings, it wasn't that God set them out just to go about business with no help of their own. Here in Isaiah 41, we read, but you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners, I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That God, again, in his anointing and the accomplishing of his will, is not going to leave his people alone. I think sometimes we can kind of back ourselves to, into a corner or maybe so much is going on in our lives, we feel like we are alone. God has never left his people alone. As we talked about anointing kings with the Holy Spirit of God, looking out at Israel saying, you're supposed to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, and guess what? I will strengthen and help you. I will be there with you. But just like the rest of the kings, Israel was not perfect, were they? No one has kept God's mission, God's will perfectly. So God said, I've got to send Messiah, who will call God's servant today. From Isaiah 42, the next chapter over, here is my servant whom I uphold. 
my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. He gets that? The way that Jesus accomplished everything he accomplished was the spirit of God was on him. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Have you caught on to that repetition yet? Justice, justice, righteousness, righteousness. In verse 2, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth what? Justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. You think justice is important to God? I think so. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is, what the, this is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And again, if you didn't catch it, as I pointed it out, justice is mentioned in three separate verses. Let's talk about justice for just a second. I pulled a quote here from Dr. Wright. In Old Testament terms, to do justice means putting things right. To do justice means putting things right. It includes putting an end to situations that are unfair, situations of exploitation and violence, and restoring those who are victim of, victims of such behavior. It includes what we mean when we speak of human rights. That's what it means to do justice. And again, God mentions this, and he will bring justice to the nations. Uh, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In these scriptures, you also uh, probably caught some more of what God is trying to do. In verses 2 and 3 there, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice. Maybe sometimes when we think of leaders, we think of commanding people who are loud and get things done, yell, yell and scream. You ever work for somebody like that? That's a pleasure, isn't it? But God says of his servant, he said, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. He will do what he's doing with the compassion. He doesn't have to raise his voice and shout and cry in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He's gentle. That this servant from God is, is gentle and compassionate. One of the other things that it says that his servant will do is bring about enlightenment, to open the eyes that are blind. Does that mean to give blind people their sight? Yes, in a sense. But also to come and to talk to people who have closed off their eyes covered their ears, and have chosen to not hear the Word of God. Or to hear the Word of God and say, that is not for me, that's not what I want. But when the servant comes, he is to open the eyes that are blind. And finally, what we see here is this liberation in the uh, back half of this verse, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Again, could be... Uh, metaphorical or very literal in this instance. And what we see here, again, justice, compassion, enlightenment, and liberation. 
We're not left only with what God says about the servant. In Isaiah verse, in chapter 49, we actually get the servant of God speaking. Verses 5 and 6 of chapter 49 of Isaiah. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him and to gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God, uh, and my God has been my strength. He says, catch this, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. And you want to say only right after that. It is too small a thing for you to just restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That's what the servant says that God says. That God is not just concerned about Israel, but he is concerned about the entire world. That I have the entire world in my hands. Isaiah 61, the servant says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me. You got that? The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. See, for a reason. God has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. When Jesus was baptized, it said the Holy Spirit descended like a dove on him. Both Matthew and Luke say immediately after that, Jesus was taken off into the wilderness, into the desert area, to be tempted by Satan. And we know what happened there. Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit, though he's hungry. Though I'm sure when they said, uh, turn those rocks to bread, he was thinking, oh, that'd be nice. A buddy of mine made some... Uh, uh, some buttermilk biscuits last night. And he said, I'm making those for tomorrow. I said, if those last till tomorrow, you're a bigger man than me. And I said, well, maybe bigger is not the word. Maybe skinnier is a, is a better word. But that was real temptation. But Luke records as Jesus comes back from these temptations that he walks into the synagogue and it says, as was his custom in Nazareth. And this is what Luke records that happens. See if this sounds familiar to you. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the what? Not in his own power, not in I am who I am. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. That must be nice. Wish that would have kept going, right? Everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. I can just imagine Jesus unrolling and saying, I know where that is. I'm going to find it. And look what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. It says the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, everyone staring at him, going, what just happened? 
he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says, you know that, that servant that God talks about? You know that, that servant that God says is going to do all of these things to enlighten people, to, to set free the captives, to open the eyes of the blind? He said, that is happening right now in front of you. And guess what it got him? Killed. That the servant that they had read about in their Bible, in their scripture, was standing right in front of them saying, you get to witness what God is doing right here on earth, right now. That the mission of God is going right down Main Street, Nazareth. Stick town, as they call it. And they looked at Jesus, and though they had really appreciated him and, and, and waited for to hear from him because he... His, his kind of reputation was growing when he said this, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It started to change some minds. But now I've got to set out and decide and, and try to prove that Jesus is not who he said he was. Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he is? Because that changes everything, doesn't it? If you come to Scripture and you say, I don't think this is who he said he is, then there's no sense in being here. No sense in faking it. No sense in trying to do anything else. But if I believe that Jesus is who he said he is, there's a choice I've got to make. But if I sit here this morning and I claim, again, Acts 2.38, repent, be baptized, and I, I'm going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, will the same Holy Spirit was on Jesus. The same Holy Spirit over and over again was given to people so that they could be on mission. God is not going to send you on a mission different than what you see in Scripture. That God has a plan for us all. He set it up in Eden and we messed it up. And God's been working ever since. That's my bad. I'll, uh, I'll wrap it up. Luckily, it wasn't mine. I'm surprised mine didn't go off. But God, ever since, has been setting it up to where I'm going to make all of this right. And so he sends this servant, our Messiah, Lord and Savior, Jesus, to show us the way. So if you haven't accepted Jesus, if you haven't been baptized into his name this morning, I want to encourage you to do that right now. There's no sense in, in living in this part of the country and being in the Bible Belt and just associating loosely with the name of Jesus Christ. We have a decision to make. Am I going to follow him? Am I going to be his disciple? Are the things that God finds important, am I going to find those things important? Am I going to put the same emphasis in the things that God, and we just read about, that God wants for his people? Am I going to find those important and live those out in my life? So we'd love to see you baptized and start that walk with him. If you have any need at all, we'd love to pray with you. Would you come as we stand and sing?